If you will, please open in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We, of course, if you've been with us for any amount of time over the last several months, you know we've been occupying ourselves with a verse-by-verse sequential look at 1 Thessalonians, and we're here in the last chapter of Paul's first letter to them. And when we go through this, we'll move right along into 2 Thessalonians as well. We have been talking in the first portion of this chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 11, of the terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And we finished that section, and now we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12 and running through, of course, to the end of the chapter, verse 28, with a list of staccato-like commands, exhortations. And we are going to take these just as they come to us, and in a sense, although they are either phrase or sentence in length, they are power-packed with truth, and so we're going to take our time going through them, taking each of these exhortations as they come to us in a unit of thought, concentrating them in one message so that we can all feel the force of it. And we come now to verses 12 and 13, which will occupy us this morning, where Paul writes this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, I mentioned earlier in the service that this comes here in the month of October, which generally is Pastor Appreciation Month, so God is good. God is good. The preacher shall preach on appreciating your preacher. Now, it may sound, of course, a bit self-serving, but as our sermon title asks today, and you could actually even phrase it, this question, uh, with uh, an emphasis maybe on a different word each time. It could be something like this, our title, how do you respond to your spiritual leaders? How? Or you could say it like this, how do you respond to your spiritual leaders? Or maybe something like this, how do you respond to your spiritual leaders? Or maybe how do you respond to your spiritual leaders? Any way you slice it, it means the same thing. Because all of that is bound up here. All of that is is captured here in these two verses. And notice the first thing that Paul says, verse 12, we ask or we urge, or we implore, or we exhort. All of those are captured by this verb. We we are asking and urging and exhorting, 
imploring you, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters. Now, it seems to me that the ESV translation, we ask you, is a bit benign because this is a strong urging. This is a, this is a way of saying this is more than a gentle nudge to do something. This is urgent. This is a strong urging from Paul's pen to these Thessalonian believers. It really is. You could say it this way. This is, this is actually command to be obeyed. This is to be obeyed. This is not just a, hey, if you think about it. Hey, if, uh, if perhaps at some point uh, you trip over the idea of honoring your pastor, then uh, pray for him every once in a while. No, this is, this is Paul writing to a, a group of believers in a fairly new church, in a fairly new area of gospel ministry, and in one of the first, if not the first, letter that Paul has written in our New Testament. So this idea of appreciating your spiritual leaders is going to be one of the first things that the Apostle Paul writes in 13 different letters in some way or another. And here he talks about this very matter of how you should or how you do respond to your spiritual leaders. And if you're like me, you see very obviously that there are three ways that you can do it. Three ways. The first is this. Respect your spiritual leaders. Respect them. That's how you can do it. That's how you respond to your spiritual leaders. Notice what it says there in verse 12, first part of it. We ask you, brothers, to respect. To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So this is the idea, first of all, first and foremost, in this urging, in this strong imploring that you respect those. That's how you do it. You respect them. And I know the first objection that may come up in someone's mind, uh, whether it's about me or any of the other pastors or elders or maybe even someone in your past who was a past pastor or elder, yeah, well, in order for me to respect, they have to be what? Respectable. Because you can't respect somebody who's not respectable. Well, as the old saying goes, if you can't respect the person, respect the office of such a person. Because this is a strong urging by Paul to do this, regardless of, of who they are. Now, of course, Paul knew who they were, and Paul as a missionary and as an apostle, along with, with Silvanus and Timothy, uh, they weren't ultimately going to be the pastors and or elders of this congregation. They're actually enjoining those who are in the church to presently respect the spiritual leaders among them, and Paul isn't referring to himself because at this point, because he's writing to them, Paul's not even there. He's not even there. He, he's been prevented, the Scripture says here in First Thessalonians, from going there. Satan has hindered him. Now, he, he has sent Timothy, and Timothy has gone there 
even risking his own life to do so. And he's gone back now, and he's talking to Paul, and he's giving Paul a report, and Paul is so thrilled. He's thrilled because they are doing so well. And he wants to make sure that they continue to do well. And one of the ways that they will, in fact, continue to do well and spiritually prosper is in this matter of how you're responding to spiritual leaders. Now, there are a lot of other things in this letter that we've already gone through, but this is one of them. And here's what he says, respect those who are your spiritual leaders. And this is a most interesting word, respect. I won't go into a big detail about it, but in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 18, Paul refers to those like Stephanus and Fortunatus, telling the Corinthians to give recognition to such men. And that's probably what's behind this word here. It's it's the idea of recognizing the office and perhaps even the man himself or the men themselves who are respectable and they then are to be respected. They're to be recognized. They're to be recognized for who they are. And once Paul urges them to respect them, he grounds such an urging in three ways. In other words, he tells them the reasons why, or maybe he gives the three descriptions as to why they ought to be respected. And do you see them here? He gives three of them. They're all linked together, and here they are. Number one, respect those who, number one, labor among you. Number two, who are over you in the Lord, and we'll explain all of these. And thirdly, and to admonish you. So if you're looking for ways that you are to fulfill the title of today's message, how do you respond to your spiritual leaders? Well, you respond by respecting them in the sense that you acknowledge and that you rejoice in their labor among you, their being over you in the Lord, and their admonishments of you. That's how you do it. That's what he says. Let's first look at that phrase, who labor among you. Who labor among you. That's the first reason or the first way or the first description out of which this respect can come. Who labor among you. That particular verb there, labor, is kapiao in the verb. Kapias. That's, that's the idea, believe it or not, of working even so as to work to the point of exhaustion. And you don't have to look very far, do you, to find a man like Paul who's writing these words who in fact was constantly working to the point of exhaustion. And you know what's interesting? It's not as though Paul is uh, distinguishing this idea of working hard uh, to just the spiritual ends of these Thessalonians' lives. Paul has already also, and we'll look at a few of these passages, saying, quite literally, I worked among you. Some of the things that you do in your vocation, Paul says, I was sitting right beside you doing the same thing. So he's talking both literally here and spiritually about this idea of labor, hard work. 
In fact, go back to chapter 1, and I want to show you. He's not just telling them how hard he worked. He's also rejoicing in the fact that he believes they've been working too, which is such a wonderful thing for a pastor to know that not only is he working, not only hard in preaching and teaching and coming alongside his people, but also he's rejoicing himself that they are working alongside him. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. We thank, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and what? Labor of love. There it is. There's that word, labor. And, of course, your steadfastness of hope. He says, I'm so grateful that you have the work of love. How easy is it then to motivate the preacher, the pastor, the elders to see the work of the people, their work of love, to turn around then and be extremely motivated to work himself? And how agonizing is it for the preacher to work himself to total exhaustion for those who aren't doing the same thing. Those who are not choosing to, say, perhaps serve in the nursery, sweeping floors, washing windows, teaching, equipping studies, and the list could go on and on, right? If you've been on the sidelines, as it were, you need to get busy. You need to do something. For in the doing of that something, whatever that something is, it's a sign of your respect for those who are laboring among you. He's doing work. The elders are doing work. I want to work too. I want to work. I want to see this work. I want to see it to fruition. And you want to see what Paul himself says in chapter 2, verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor, and toil. Uh, What do you mean, Paul? We worked night and day, literally, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So we were working during the day, and then we were working at night. Undoubtedly, they had food, they had dinner, they had fellowship, but when it was time to work, it was time to work. And they worked night and day so they wouldn't be a burden to any of them. But what a challenge. And notice what he says in verse 8 of chapter 3. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Well, how can you stand fast in the Lord? By working. By working. Do you know, I would suggest, and it's certainly been true of my own life over the last two and a half years while my wife was ailing as she was, and certainly now in her absence for me to get busy with work so that my idle time is not a wallowing in self-pity. You know, you can, you can be alone. You cannot be around. You cannot be involved in ministry to the degree that you're sitting by yourself in the stillness of the day or the evening, and that can become a not-so-good thing. You start thinking thoughts. You begin to think thoughts of how you're hurting, how difficult it is, how lonely it is. And when you do that, 
It's not saying that all of that is wrong, but if you do that to excess, you're going to wallow in self-pity to the degree that you might even begin to have some questions about the goodness of God, about the plan of God, the providence of God. It's time to get busy. It's time to work. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I mean, one of my children just asked me the other day, Dad, you know, how is this going? How are you doing? And I said this very thing, at night it's the worst. But daytime's coming when I got to go to work. I got to do the work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Boy, what great words. What great words. And it's not just even the physical labor. Those are the passages that I've just given you regarding even just toiling with your own hands, but also the spiritual work, the the gospel work. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul is talking about the apostles that went for him, and he says, I was one who was untimely born. In other words, I was the last apostle. I don't really even deserve the title, uh, but it's been given to me. I was called to it. But if you're going to ask me, Whether or not I'm working hard, I'm going to tell you I labored, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, above them all, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. I may be the last apostle, but I dare say I'm the most hardworking one by the grace of God. That's a good lesson for me. It's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? You say, well, it says that in 1 Corinthians 15? Yes, it does. And it says that about Paul regarding himself, but it says in verse 58 about us, these words, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, we have, got, we have a job to do. We've got work to do. This is the work of gospel ministry. This is a work of gospel teaching and gospel witnessing and gospel serving Because there will be the Lord Jesus Christ who comes one day so as to ask us to give an account for our gospel lives. This is incredible. Probably my life verse, the one that if you were to pick one and it were to resonate with you so powerfully, so indelibly in your life, for me would be Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him, referring to Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then this, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all His energy, Christ's energy that He powerfully works within me. It's time to go to work. We've got to work. And if I work that way, And if you work that way, I don't think there's going to be a problem at all with our self-respect of one another. The recognition that I'm working hard and so are you. That we as leaders are working hard. You would find it very, very difficult not to be able to give due recognition and high respectfulness toward those who you honestly see doing the work. Now, at some points you might be jealous, 
But that jealousy will actually motivate you to say, I got to get busy. I got to get busy. And there's no greater joy in a pastor's heart, in the heart of an elder, to see people, all of them, involved in the work somehow, some way. It's just a joy. It's a joy to see interlocked arms in the work. This is, this is the gospel we're talking about. This is the planning of a church in Thessalonica we're talking about. This is Paul saying, if you're a church that's growing and vibrant and loving, you then must respect those who are laboring among you. Here's another way that he describes it. Secondly, you should do so because of their rule over you. Their rule over you. You say, well, where's the, where's the word rule? It, it, it only says in my Bible here in 1 Thessalonians, it only says this, that we ought to respect those who are over you in the Lord. Where do you get the idea of rule? Well, that comes from that very word, who are over you. That phrase, in any Greek lexicon, a Greek lexicon is a fancy word for a Greek dictionary. You know, like you look up Merriam-Webster, I look up a Greek dictionary. And I find out what this word is. And this word means this, to exercise, this is the word over you or that phrase, to exercise a position of leadership, rule, to direct, verb, to direct people to be at the head of or a secondary definition, and I don't even think we have to choose between, oh, it's that or this. I think it's actually both. Here's the secondary definition. To have an interest in, this is to be over you in the Lord, to have an interest in, show concern for, give aid to, or here's my favorite, to care for. To care for. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to respect those who are ruling over us and caring for us. Now, some people might uh, chafe at the ruling over part, but I don't know anybody who's got a problem over the caring part. And it's both. It's two sides of the same coin. If you're ruling over people, you're caring for them. And if you're caring for people, they respect your ruling your direction, and thereby you are recognized by them as someone who is indispensable in their lives because you're caring for their souls. This is, this is what he's saying. And you know how important this is for the qualification of an elder? Look at your Bibles at 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is so important that this very phrase, this idea of ruling or managing well, this, this, is, this is a characteristic, this is a character quality of how we actually define and decide who our leaders are. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says in verse 4, he, referring to this potential elder, these are the qualifications for that man, for these brothers, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children's submission Submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Wow. If you're not ruling well your home, if you're not caring 
for your people at home, then how can you care for God's people in the church? This is, this is the prerequisite. And oh, could I say without fear of the point that he gives here, which is the great qualifier of all, he says to respect those who labor among you and are over you, and then what's the next phrase? In the Lord. In the Lord. I would admit to you that there are scores of churches in which there are leaders there and they are ruling in some way, but not in the Lord. Not in the Lord. Not in the sphere of the Lord's own leadership. You see how important that phrase is in our Bibles? Because I agree, I acknowledge that you could go into a church somewhere in the world today and have someone for whom not only there is not respect, nor should be, because they are not laboring among us and they are not ruling and caring for us in the sphere of the Lord. They're in it for what they can gain. They're in it for how they can be put up on a pedestal. They're in it for the money. They're in it for sexual favors. They're in it for the glory. They're in it for their own self-aggrandizement. For whatever they're in it for, they're not respected by the Lord. And undoubtedly, not by many of the people in their flock. That's why this qualifier is so very important. The leadership that I want to have among you the ruling, Chris Brunziel, our elders, is that you respect us because we are laboring and are over you in the sphere of the Lord's own leadership. If we're not that, we're nothing. We're not real leaders. We're not real respectable persons. We're just in it for our own gain. And how many times do you read in the New Testament of false teachers and heretics and why they're in it for what they're in it for? And it certainly doesn't say in the Lord. It's for all that they want, all that they can get from you. That's the difference between shepherding the sheep and fleecing the flock. And and this is why Paul writes to him as he does. It's respect because of their labor over us, for us, among us in the Lord. Their respect because of their caring for us, their ruling over us. And thirdly, notice what it says. You should do this respecting of your leaders because they admonish you. They admonish you. Now, this is most interesting, my friends. This is This is the combination of two words, not always with words. We know that even in English, let alone in Greek, that you don't always get the combination of putting words together with the complementary nature of those words separately and then put together, but in this case you do. This is is the idea of nous, and that means mind in Greek, not a rope, but a mind. Not a noose, that's the Greek word. That's your mind. That's the Greek word for mind. There are other words, but that's the one he uses here. And then he attaches to that the word tithemi. Tithemi. That means to place into something. So what is 
thesis, the noun. What is nuthesia? Nutheteo, uh, the verb. What is this? That is to take the word of God and to place it into the mind of a person so that they are warned, instructed, corrected. It, it, it certainly does actually imply that something is amiss. There's wrong thinking. There's wrong acting. There's wrong living to some degree. It may not be the worst thing that you and I could see in terms of wrong living or wrong acting or wrong doing, but there is something amiss. And so the idea of nutheteo is to take the Word of God. Here's what these leaders do. They take God's Word. That's why they have to study. That's why they have to have the skill in being able to preach and teach and counsel. And they take the Word of God and they place it into the noose, the the mind of a person, so that they are duly and lovingly and caringly corrected. That's what it means. That's the word admonish. And I love this. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Would there have ever been a group of people who needed the kind of admonishment that the Corinthians needed? I mean, if there was ever a, a, a Pauline New Testament letter in which there was some admonishing that needed to happen, it would be the Corinthians. And notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 14, using that very word for admonish. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. How? As my beloved children. Well, doesn't that mirror what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2 about the fact that I was a nursing mother toward you and that I was an imploring father toward you? using the the idea of the blendedness, the beautiful blendedness of that nursing, caring mother and that imploring, exhortative father. He says, why? Because you're my children. You're my spiritual kids. I I don't admonish you because I delight in the admonishment. I admonish you because you need to be corrected. And what child of their parents needs no correction? I will not ask for a show of hands. We all need correction. In fact, if we didn't need correction, why does Paul say in chapter 4, do not be sexually immoral? That's a correction. That's a warning. Why does he say in these staccato-like commands in the very next verse of verse 14 of chapter 5, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol? which is idle or unruly. Look, if, if, if there weren't needs for unruly people to be admonished or sexually immoral people to be admonished or perhaps these confusing questions about the day of the Lord and in chapter 4 and chapter 5, if, if, if we were on easy street, if we knew all that we needed to know, if, if we thought that, that we didn't need to be corrected about anything, then there would be no reason to give respect and recognition to those who come alongside us. But because we do need that correction, because we do need that admonishment, we respect those who come alongside us and say, let me sit down with you and give you the Word of God so that you can be helped. This is is a key, my friends. This is such a key. This is what you and I must do. 
And if that were not enough, this idea of respect or recognition, he reinforces it. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly. Now, perhaps someone's going to say, well, couldn't you make the point with the first verse, verse 12? Couldn't you say, okay, respect them. Give them their due recognition for their labor among you, their ruling over you in the Lord, and their admonishment of you. Respect them. End of sentence. Go home. Lunch is ready. But perhaps he's actually putting, if you want to change a metaphor, icing on cake. Let's make it positive, shall we? The cake is the respect, the recognition, uh, the idea that I love you, Pastor. I love you, Elder. I love what you mean in my life. You, you admonish me and you rule over me and you work hard and your toil and labor for me and I couldn't respect you more. Paul says, esteem them very highly. Now, I know this seems so self-serving. It's like when the preacher, you know, is preaching on the passages about money and how the preacher ought to be paid. You know, it's like gilding the lily. It's like, you know, just, okay, well, write the check. And, and, and you know, the part where you're writing it too, it's Lance Quinn right there. Yeah. Look, I, I understand. It's like, it's in here. I got to preach it because it's there, right? Talk about Acts 20 where Paul says, I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. This is part of it. This is part of it. Esteem them very highly. This is is most interesting. It means that you value someone. You value them. You esteem them. And that additional adverb, very highly. It's almost like, Paul, you're piling on here. I mean, I understand what respect is. I understand what esteem is. But respect and esteem very highly. And then what's that next phrase? In love. In love. Again, in the sphere of love. And by the way, that phrase very highly, it's variously translated in other places in our Bible. You don't have to look there too many places, but I'll share a few of them with you. Listen to this, Romans 5.20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's our word. So you esteem your leaders over you in an abounding way. I just, folks, it's just what's in the Bible. I'm just telling you. 2 Corinthians 7.4. Paul says, I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. That's what the little guy says. I'm like the bird and I'm just swooping down. So I, so I raise my voice. Overflowing with joy. When's the last time to answer that question again, title of the sermon, how do you respond to spiritual leaders where in your heart or in your actions you had such a respect and recognition that you esteemed these leaders with superabundance? It doesn't mean gifts and flowers and handshakes. Those are not bad, but I'll tell you what's better. Your prayers. Your prayers. 
and your work and your help and your love. And you don't always have to express it because guess what? The Lord knows your heart. And he will be pleased when your heart is a heart of love toward those who serve you in this way. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Remember that verse? That's our adverb. And 1 Thessalonians 3.10, even in our own text, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Most earnestly esteem your spiritual leaders. If you ask me the question, how or in what ways are you responding to your spiritual leaders, I'll tell you, respect and high esteem are high on the list. Not because they always deserve it, not because they're always in every way perfect and can do no wrong. Just ask my kids. But the effort, the love, the caring is always in my heart. And it's always in the heart of those who want to treat you in the way we would want to be treated. Notice what he says. The how of your esteem is because you love them in love. And and he doesn't stop there, does he? He says... You ought to do it because of their work. Because of their work. This is, this is something we've already gone over, but Paul once again emphasizes it, doesn't he? No wonder we have different words for work. Work, toil, labor. Because he's just giving us a kaleidoscopic look at the various words that are actually trying to communicate the one thing. And the one thing is, Respect slash esteem verily, very highly in love because of their work. And I said there were three principles, and we close with this one, and it's only in a sentence or two, and it is this. What's the last phrase of verse 13? Be at peace among yourselves. Do you know that in this context, I take it to mean not just a phrase that's sort of stuck at the end of a verse all by itself with no connection with what goes before or after. Not so, my friends. Not so fast. It has to mean in a connecting tissue that if you are respecting and esteeming your spiritual leaders in the way verses 12 and the first part of verse 13 says, you will be at peace among yourselves. You know, one of the greatest aspects of the disunity of the church is the kind of gossip mongering and disunity that's caused by people who get together either in small or larger groups and they criticize the spiritual leaders. That's that's one of the first ways to destroy a ministry. Well, you know, I just I just don't like his preaching. He, he, he's, he's too long, no matter what Tobin Sorensen says. Or it's this, or it's that, or I don't like the way they're, I don't like the decisions that, that they made. And by the way, I don't make decisions on my own. 
right? It's decisions that are made by a plurality of godly leaders who are called elders. You say, well, it doesn't matter to me. I don't like the way they all made that decision. Well, you see, my friends, if that's your heart, and if that's the expression of that heart, because out of the heart the mouth speaks, then what you've just described is someone who is opposite of this text. You've described someone who is not respecting the labor, the caring, the admonishment, and is not esteeming very highly in love because of their work. They are actually doing its very opposite. And because of that, repentance must be manifest. And you know, no spiritual leaders, either one or collectively, are immune to such need for repentance. Because other leaders can criticize their other brother elder leaders. And it's wrong. And you know one of the first ways to split a church is not for you to be the opposite of this passage, but for us as elders to fracture because we're not ourselves obeying this passage. And I've seen it. I was in a church in which there was a split of 100 people who didn't leave all at once but trickled out over a few months And it broke my heart. And at the root of it all was both elders, some of them, and congregational members, some of them, who were not fulfilling the dictates of this passage. Now, that's not what they said they were doing at the beginning, and it certainly probably wouldn't be what they're saying now, but that's what it was. It's it's not where you and I say, I think I'm going to be a big old stinker today and gossip about everybody. I think I'm going to rail against our leadership because I really don't have anything else to do right now. It's never like that, is it? It's like the hiss of a snake. And no snake gets on his feet and runs real fast to sin. It's a slow slithering to the point of attack. And when that happens, you and I are generally the people who get the poison. So, what do we say? Be at peace with yourselves. Among yourselves. Perhaps, as we close... The book of Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive. It's the idea of agonize. Agonize for peace. The absence of hostility, that's what that means. Strive, agonize, work hard for peace with everyone everyone, and for the holiness. What kind of holiness? The kind of holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty frightening, if you ask me. If I'm not striving 
for peace with everyone. I'm not holy, and when I'm not holy, it, it could be the kind of unholiness for which I will not see the Lord himself in glory. And perhaps it's why he says just a few words down in chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I think of a whole category of leaders that have been over me in the, in the Lord in which to this day I cherish. I cherish. You're going you're gonna to see a whole bunch of them. You know, Chris mentioned in the announcement to begin our service that we're going to have all these brothers coming on the 22nd. Almost daily, I'm getting communication from some of them, probably don't even know the rest of them who will be here who haven't yet communicated, who are saying, I'm coming. And so that list of the five men who are coming to do this Q&A on the platform has arisen to at least eight already. It may be 10 or 12 by the time the 22nd comes. And every single one of them are some of my dearest friends in all the world. And I esteem them very highly because of their work. And I want you to get to know them also. They're from all over the country. I mean, I think I've got every quadrant of the country covered. And they want to come. They love our family. They, they, they esteem me. They, they, they want to be with me in a time of mourning and grief. I'm so grateful that they're coming. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how all of them can be involved in some act of service in the memorial service, the graveside, the church on Sunday. I've got some of them, I, I think, probably uh, emptying the trash cans as well. It's just, why? Because of verse 17 of Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. You know why the elders of this church are keeping watch over my soul? So are these other brethren around the world. They're helping to keep watch over my soul right now. They don't want me to go over the edge. They don't want me to despair even of life itself. They're keeping watch over my souls. They call me all the time. How are you doing today? How's it going today? What are you doing today to make sure that you're still doing the calling that God has given you for ministry? How are you, how are you coming alongside your kids? I want details. I want, I want good, solid affirmation so that I can pray more specifically and more earnestly for you. Help me help you. What, what kind of friends are those? The best you'll ever have. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then the very next thing he says in the next verse is pray for us. Pray for us. That's a good place to close, isn't it? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the leaders that we have in our ministry. We're far from perfect. Only Christ is perfect. We're even far from good on some days. But we want to be your kind of leader. 
And it's not that we're pining for respect and esteem, but if we're doing the job you've called us to do, that respect and esteem will come, and it'll come from you through your people to us. And we will also be even more motivated to labor among our people to rule and care for them in the Lord and to admonish them so that they in love would esteem us very highly because of their work so that we would all be at peace among ourselves. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the current unity in our fellowship. Thank you that I'm not receiving calls daily, weekly, monthly, yearly about problems in our church, problems in the fellowship, discontent, disunity. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would so cement to us these truths from 1 Thessalonians 5 that we would be ever so maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. May it be so for your glory and honor and for the sake of the gospel witness of this church around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.